0: Let's get into God's Word, Exodus chapter 15, starting in verse 22, and here's our assignment today, which I'll go ahead and tell you, not going to happen. I didn't even get halfway through chapter 16, I just kind of summarized everything at the end, but we're supposed to go through all of chapter 16 and the first several verses of chapter 17 as well. You might be saying, Brent, why in God's name did you guys decide to do that? (sighs) Because we just, we have great vision here at four points. But we're actually going to be studying three different crises that face God's people as they leave the Red Sea. And the crises are all similar. The first is they're without water. The second is they're hungry. The third is they're without water again. So there's, there's these, these, hard, these life hardships that face God's people. I don't know who told you that if you follow Christ, everything's going to be easy from then on out. You know, God bless that sweet little Sunday school teacher when you were six years old who said baby here's your choices you can pray this prayer and your life is going to be everything you'd ever imagine or you can burn in an eternal lake of fire forever (laughs) right that's not a hard decision I'll pray the prayer right and and think everything's gonna be. Christianity is hard human life It's hard for the believer and the unbeliever. God causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. Sometimes there's just stormy, rainy, nasty days, amen? All right, so things aren't perfect. There are crises that occur in our lives that lead to a response from us. We're gonna see, the reason we put all this together is because the crisis occurs three times. The response from God's people is the same in each time so I didn't want to preach three weeks with the same message we put it all together because I want you to hear it once and then God's response which is the gospel and peace and rest in him this is where we're going today so let's pray and we'll get right to it father in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done On earth as it is in heaven, speak to your people. We're here because we need you. Give us our daily bread. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. 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 Exodus chapter 15. Now here's the the scenario. Let's read a little bit. Then, verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness. All right, so here's the scene. I mean, and, and most of you, you know, you go out to the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean. Uh, some of you from up north, you've been at the Great Lakes, right? You stand on these beaches, and there's nothing but a horizon and water on one side, right? There's no, you need a boat, right? no way through you swim a little bit out doesn't matter if you're a good swimmer or a bad swimmer you try to swim across everybody dies <laughs> right olympian gold medalist try to swim across you die on the other side of you from all this massive body of water which the red sea is uh, as far as you can see from the left or right it's just water on the other side the greatest military power on planet earth hopeless Nowhere to go. Trapped like a rat, right? And then God moves. Waters part. And God's people, they don't walk across through sludge. They walk across on dry ground. This is not natural phenomenon. This is the supernatural hand of God power of God working for his people to deliver and save them from their bondage now you and I man we experience God in many ways but nobody in this room has ever seen anything like that amen so when I read my Bible I'm thinking these people will never doubt God again Right? Who would experience that kind of deliverance and not have faith three days later? These time markers are important in the text, it shows just how fickle we are as people. How we are completely sabotaged by our own needs, by our own appetites, by our own emotions. Three days after this incredible scene that 3,500 years later, we're still making movies about. I mean, this is what's going on. And three days after that, here's the first crisis. Three days in the wilderness, they found no water. So the God that parts water is going to let us die out here in the wilderness. Faithlessness. No trust in a God who just delivered them in a miraculous way from their enemies. And we say, Brent, not us. We would never be that way. But what I hope to do is to show us that we're no different from Israel so that we can learn what God wants them to learn, and what God wants us to learn for right now. So three days in, no water. And when they came to Marah, which is a place that means bitterness. There's a word for the bitter herbs uh, of the cedar Passover meal that, that comes from this same root, right? This place is anathema. This place is cursed. This place is bitter. There's no hope here. Three days out in the wilderness after God delivers, right? They just sang a song immediately and spontaneously broke into worship at what God has done. And three days later, Oh, my tummy! That was just for you. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water. They finally find this little pool of water in the wilderness, but they can't drink it. You ever been out in the woods and you find that little, that little stagnant pool, right? And the there's like a film. On the top of it. And then you can like see different colors. Like a little prism of colors. Uh, on the top of it. And there's like bugs. Because not even the bugs can drink the water without dying. <laughs> this is what they come. They're, they're three days in. They got no water. They finally find some water. And it, it's putrid. It's putrid. So there's that glimpse of hope. Crashed down as they see that it's undrinkable, for it was named Mara. And the people, here's the, here's the response, In all three, first crisis, no water, second crisis, they are hungry, third crisis, no water again. In each and every instance, the people respond the same way. And the people grumbled. Underline that word. That word and the word quarreled appears nine times in this, you know, two chapters. Half a chapter, chapter, half a chapter. Nine times. God is making his point clear. We're just the worst. (laughs) We are. We're saved by grace, but we just the worst. The people grumbled against Moses. Look at chapter 16, verse 2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Look at chapter 17, verse 2. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses. Look at verse 3. But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses. The response of the people is faithless. And what do we do when we get pressed? What do we do when we find ourselves in difficult conditions, even God's chosen people? We find ourselves when we're pressed, looking for someone to blame. In this case, it's Moses. Put yourself in Moses' shoes for just a second. What did Moses do? Did Moses want to be a great leader? Did Moses start a blog and get his name out there and get buy a couple thousand likes to get started? And... All right, Moses isn't looking for attention. He was happy on the backside of a desert herding goats. That's all he cared about. And God says, go. Remember at the beginning of Exodus, Moses is like, I can't. Can't talk right. You know, I'm a nobody from nowhere. Just send somebody else. (laughs) Moses doesn't want this responsibility. But God says, go. Moses is just obeying. Because when God speaks, what do you do? Even when you make your excuses, what God has decreed is going to happen, whether you like it or not. Moses has no choice but to do what God has commanded and he has led God's people out of Israel through a supernatural miracle, unparalleled. And when the hardships of life begin to press down on the people, it's that darn Moses' fault. Why did we ever leave Egypt? And isn't it funny how stupid, grumbling, people who grumble, isn't it true they exaggerate? Look at, uh, just quickly, look at chapter 16, verse uh, 3. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we have died By the hand of the Lord. Why did he just kill us in Egypt? When we sat by the meat pots. (laughs) Steaming pots of meat. They didn't remember the hardship. They didn't remember their babies getting thrown into the Nile. They didn't remember the beatings from the taskmasters. They remembered the meat pot. It was always there after a hard day's work. We didn't have to do anything. It was just there. They provided meat and bread to the full, for you have brought us out in the wilderness to kill us. Look at chapter 17, verse 3. People grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us. And our children. No, your children were dying in Egypt. That's why you got brought out to save you, to deliver you. I wanted to make a little sheet. I've never done Weight Watchers personally, but I've talked to a lot of people that have done Weight Watchers. And if you don't write things down, you forget, right? You gotta count those calories. I wanted to make a little sheet because I am deeply convicted. I'm not preaching to you this morning. I am preaching to me. Well, I'm preaching to all of us because you're no better. <laughs> <laughs> the Bible says, Jesus said, You can tell what's in a person's heart by the words that come out of the mouth. Out of the mouth, the heart speaks. I wanted to create this little verbal inventory for us because I think all of us would be shocked and surprised. On one side, I wanted to say life-giving gospel speech. How many times does faith every day come out of your mouth? God is. God will. God can. Here we go. Nothing's impossible. None can stand. But if God's force, who's against us? How many times does that come out of your mouth every day? I wanted wanted to make you write it down. And then I wanted the other side to be the nihilistic thoughts the fatalistic thoughts the the negative thoughts the grumbles the complaints i want you to write them down so you can see because most of our grumble and complaints are just like god's people right what is what has been is what's old is new these people are not better or worse than us they're the same people who need god's word how outrageous, think about some of the negative things that you say. How outrageous, we so exaggerate. Outrageous. But yet, it's what we do, it's what comes out of our mouth. People, when God, what He wants is for us to take every thought captive. Second Corinthians 10, 5. Right when when this stuff that's going to come up, why? Because life is hard. What does God want us to do? He wants us to grow. He wants us to see truth instead of the lies. He wants us to see faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. Did they put up? Look a second. We destroy arguments. Every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive. This is what God wants for us. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. I didn't even get to these verses in last, so I'm glad you were ready, Terry. What does God want for us when we're pressed by life? Does he want the blah, 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 so-and-so and blah blah blah? They're not good and If everybody was like me, we'd all be perfect. No, if everybody was like you, we'd be even more miserable. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just. Look, it's not hard. If you're looking for problems, you're gonna find them. Right? Remember last week, shut up and praise God. <laughs> whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. But what do we do instead? Just like Israel, we think about what we don't have, what we want and we don't. Have and it consumes us, and we can hear it in our own speech. And the older you get, I mean, isn't it true? Some of you young guys that can't find anything good in the world, I hate to see you in 20 years because it doesn't get better when you train yourself to focus on what's wrong. We need And what is God doing through these verses? What is God showing us in the text? Watch this. The people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we do? We're thirsty. There's nothing to drink. And he cried to the Lord because Moses, hey, guess what? The leaders that you blame, they don't have any power. (laughs) There's no magic pill that they can give you to solve all your problems. But that's what we do. We've been doing it since the garden. God comes down, Adam and Eve sin, they start pointing fingers because it's never our fault, the issues that we're having in life. It's always somebody else. Moses goes to God because he's got nowhere else to go. What am I supposed to do? What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. Now all the natural theology guys want to say, well, of course, porous wood acts as a filtered... Go out into the woods and find that putrid pond and throw a log in it and see how long it takes. And it didn't just purify the water, it made it sweet. Imagine taking a cup out of a pond and it tastes like Coca-Cola. Supernatural act Of God, why? Why? There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. Now remember, there's Exodus 20 is when we get the Ten Commandments. There are no statutes and rules as of right now for God's people except one, remember the Passover lamb and how you were saved from the wrath of God through the blood of that lamb marking you and identifying you from the ungodly. It's the only statute they have to every year come together and remember that night. So God... Is doing something right now. And what is he doing? Look, he makes a statute and rule, and there he tested them. Now, here's how we get this wrong. Because when we think of God testing us, we think of us having to, him setting up an obstacle course, and we have to make it through the obstacle course to, to gain his approval. We think of a 10-question a test. If we get more right than we get wrong, then he will accept us. That's not what the Bible means when it says this. By the way, that's every religion in the world other than Christianity. If we do more good than we do bad, then God will have to accept us. When our lives are weighed on the scales, if we're just a little more good than we are bad, then we'll be accepted And and if we don't have enough good, we'll have to come back as a cow or a donkey or as a flea and, and do a little more good. And we'll have to keep doing that as many times as we can until we finally have enough good to be accepted by God. That is all religion, but not the gospel. The gospel is He does everything. And it's through His work that we are saved. But it was. So, what is God doing here in this testing? What does it mean? God tests the way engineers and the way scientists test metals to see the compounds, to to, to see the purity of the metal and what needs to happen to to get the impurities out. How hot do we have to make this fire to get these impurities out so the metal can be more pure, the gold can be more pure, the refiners fire. God is a consuming fire. You come to the Lord as you are, but you do not stay the same. You cannot. He Sanctifies his people. He leads his people. He guides his people. This is how he tests them. Because here's the real rub. God's people still have a slavery mentality. I mean, generations in Egypt. 400 years of slavery. And now, three days into the wilderness, they are free. He who the sun sets free. Come on, son. This is four points. You guys know the word. Free indeed. I'm going to start doing that more just to to test the waters. You know, if you don't like the Bible, there's a church down the street for you. What is God doing in these these hardships of life? Why does God press us? Put us in uncertain situations, put us in hopeless situations. We're just gonna die. Why'd you say you saved us just to bring us out here and kill us? God is trying to remove the mentality of our old master and teach us how to look to him. Did you know? And here's the sad reality. We're not there yet. But the sad reality is everybody in this generation who saw the Red Sea part dies in the wilderness and can't make it into the promised land. Now, if you're an Arminian, you think they all went to hell because they made the wrong decision. They're still God's people. I mean, put that in your pipe and smoke on it for a little bit. Think about that. These are saved, chosen people by God who are today God's people in eternity looking down upon us as a great cloud of witnesses. Hebrews chapter 11 says, But they didn't make it into their earthly promised land. Why? Because they couldn't stop thinking like a slave. Freedom comes at a cost. I can really start preaching here. Everybody wants to be free. Have you ever met somebody that doesn't want to be free? We all want freedom. But guess what? When we get freedom, we start looking around and going, hey, where's that pot of meat? ...that was provided for me all those years in in my slavery. When you're free, there are things you have to do for yourself to sustain the freedom. And isn't it funny how so many people, when they get freedom... ...just think about how awesome it was back there in slavery. I didn't have to think about this. I didn't have to do anything freedom comes at a cost god is testing his people to show them what it is like to follow god through the barren wasteland of life there is trust there has to be faith one day we won't need faith one day we'll be in his presence but right now we need faith and the, Red Sea parts. Three days later, they don't have it. All they're thinking about is going back to Egypt. But God is building in a people, and this generation can't quite get it. They were in slavery too long. Oh, but their kids, Joshua, Caleb, I can't wait to talk about Joshua. They get it, they've seen God. Over and over and over, they know if God says it, we can do it. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for you. Any, It doesn't take, you can have an IQ of four and be a grumbler. Most grumblers do have an IQ of four. (laughs) It takes a man of God. It takes a woman of God. To rise above all the negativity and to see what God is doing and say, yes, we can. God has given it. God has given us the land. This is why the Lord tests saying, if you will. If you will. Now, look, there are some things that happens in the Bible. We call them covenants. There are some things that God just decrees and not hell or high water is going to change it. When God speaks to Abraham, he doesn't say, Abraham, I tell you what, if you will meet this certain checklist of things, then I'm going to make a great nation out of you. No, Abraham can't even stop. When God says, Abraham, out of you, I'm going to make a nation. Remember, Abraham tried to get involved, messed everything up. It's where the nation of Islam comes from. But God still does, despite Abraham's dumbness. That's a word. God still does what he said, because that was a covenant. God says, I'm going to do this. And it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter your response. I'm going to do this. When God decrees something, it happens. But in the midst of these decrees, in the, I mean, here we are, Israel, a nation has occurred, just like God said. All nations are gonna be blessed through this nation, grumbling around in the wilderness, just like God said. But he tell, what he tells his people here is very important for us. If you will, this is not a covenant, this is contractual. I will do some things if you do some things. Listen, in the New Testament, there are some things that God commands us to do. There are some ways God commands us to think. There are some ways that God pushes us forward in this world. And it's not law. We don't do it to be saved. We do it because we are. We desire it because we are saved. And there are people, just hear this. There are people who are saved, love Jesus, heaven is their home, 1 Corinthians 3, we can get there, who just don't build well. They don't follow well, and as a result, they live less than what God has for His people on planet Earth. Blessing and flourishing is what God wants for His people. Why does God do that even to to people who are saved, people that he chooses, right? It's his testing to get us to a point where we trust him more than our 401ks, more than our CEOs, more than our politicians, more than our nations, more than our good ideas. We trust God's people are no different than us. We trust in ourselves. The entire Old Testament proves the point. We, it doesn't matter what God does, we trust ourselves. We trust in our own abilities. We trust in our ways and our politics and in our, in our intellects. God testing. Here's what, here's what I need you to do to fully experience. Grace on planet Earth. I mean, so many Christians, so jacked up, miserable, medicated, depressed, right? And, and there are real mental conditions out there. I'm not saying, but there are some people who are just afflicted by their own means, Not everything is a demon. Sometimes we're our worst enemies because we don't listen to God. What does God want? Saying, if you will diligently, if you do something, I'm going to do something. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord. What is God building into his people who all they know is Egypt and now they're free but they want to go back to Egypt? And they grumble against the guy that's brought them into this freedom Moses by God's decree and command. God wants to retrain their minds and their hearts. Yeah, life is hard. But listen to me. Why are we still here 3,500 years later? God still has a people. And we know, many of us in this room, we understand his voice is all that we have. Every time I have tried to take things into my own hands, I have screwed things up royally, unrepairably. Why is it so hard for Christians to say, I'm human, I do stupid stuff. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Why is that hard? Bunch of proud, stiff-necked people. Church should be the one place we come. Church is the reason we gather together. You know, we started putting on our suits and pretending like nothing was there. No, we're here because we need help. Where do we go for help? There's one voice above all other voices. There's one person who actually can speak to the wind and the waves, and it's not Congress. (laughs) Uh, We're going to legislate. We're going to make some rules. There's never going to be a flood again. (laughs) (laughs) Who believes that? We're going to destroy all the middle class businesses, and there's never going to be a flood again. No, you're just going to have more power, and we're going to be pooched. Shut up! Praise God! Look at me grumbling as I'm speaking about not grumbling. (laughs) Right, but if we can start catching ourselves, praise God, amen? Because whose voice should we listen to? What does God want? Why did he preserve this? Why is so much written at the same time lost to history, but this is preserved? And everything else that was preserved is in fragments. You know why the Dead Sea Scrolls were such an important find? Because the Old Testament is as it is today. Preserved. We know from at least 2,000 years ago. It's the very same Old Testament the Jews were reading. God preserved this because His voice is what we need in the fads of this world and understand in the Sodom and Gomorrah in which we live it's not forever it has come and it will pass as these things always do God's word remains why would we not give ourselves to family as God describes to Uh, The ecclesiology of his people coming together to to worship him and hear his word. Why would we not do what he commands? Yeah, I feel so sorry for, isn't it true? Because you have friends, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't need church. It's funny how their lives turn out. Alone, broken, mad, bitter. And they don't need the church, but they love blaming the church for all their problems. Everybody needs somebody to blame. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in His eyes. In just a few chapters, we get the judges. And at the time of the judges, what was the problem? Everyone was doing what was right in their eyes. What does God want from his people? How does he test us? How does he prove us? How does he sanctify us? Pulling us towards what he says, what's right in his eyes, not our own. It's so easy to get out there in the mumble jumble of all the new language. Right. If, if, if we can't convince people, we'll just change all the words. Ah, oh, recession's meant this forever, but it doesn't mean it anymore. Ah, oh, woman meant this forever, but it doesn't mean it anymore. Just change everything. It's easy to get lost in that gobbledygook that's out there because nothing normal is the same as it was just 10 years ago. So what can we do? It's not about what's right in our eyes. It's what's right in His eyes. His words are very clear, and they haven't changed meanings. Amen? It's been true for every generation. Even before the Word was written, God was speaking. He's walking in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. He's speaking. He shows up speaking to to Noah and his sons and, and throughout until the point where He has people write down His Word. So that we may benefit from a fruitful life. A life that comes from life. Who is Jesus. He is the light of men. And a light to this world. Listen to my voice. Do what's right in my eyes. Give ear to his commands. And keep all his statutes. And I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians for I am the Lord. I am Yahweh, your healer. So what the Bible clearly teaches is if you're a Christian, you're never going to get sick. Somebody bring me a towel. I need to wipe my forehead. Somebody carry my Bible for me. I'm too holy to do that. Name it, claim it. We're all gonna drive Cadillacs tomorrow. That's definitely what it teaches. What does he say? Follow me. Your life is not gonna look like the Egyptians. Follow me. None of the doesn't say you're never gonna have a bad day. Doesn't say you're not gonna get thirsty in the wilderness. No, you're a human, you're gonna get thirsty. You're gonna be hungry. All of human life is for you the same as everyone else. It's gonna be good days, it's gonna be bad days. But the plagues that fell on Egypt. The wrath of God that came down and caused dead bodies to float onto the shore will not fall on you. Follow me. Don't trust in circumstance. Don't don't trust in what you see. May your feet hit the floor every morning knowing that I am God. I am who I say I am. I will do what I say I will do. This is what God wants from us. And when we want to, when we are right to grumble, right? because the world's hard, to say God has a reason and a purpose for this. I'm just going to keep my eyes on Him. This is what God wants for His people. I challenge you, this week, every day, Weight your style. Make a list. When gospel life is coming out of your mouth, guess what? When gospel life comes out of your mouth, it's better for everybody around you. It's better for everybody. It's better for you, your heart, to break those, those callous areas of bitterness that have come from hardship of life. Make a list. Is life, is gospel coming out of you? Or the grumbling and the complaining coming out of you? And here's the big idea. In chapter 16, the next crisis they come to, which is just a little over a month from their exodus experience. We, we know that from it being the 15th day of the second month there in, chapter, in verse 1 of chapter 16. They all complain and they're hungry this time. So what God says is, Here's what I'm gonna do. In the evening, I'm gonna send quail. Everybody's gonna eat meat. Every morning after, I'm gonna send manna, I'm gonna send bread from heaven. And it's going to be laying on the ground and all they have to do is go out and pick it up. And every person, according to the people in their household, every person gets an omer. An omer is about three and a half pounds of this coriander wafer like material that God, not, not natural phenomena, supernatural hand of God working in and through his people. Because God has decreed a salvation that is going to come in Christ now and forever God's word is true, whether we believe it or not. Every morning, everybody. So some households that had more people living in it got more than those who had just a few people living it. But you know what? When they ate, it was all the same. Everybody had their fill and there was no lack from this manna that they would go out and gather every morning. An omer, three and a half pounds per person in their home. Now... And all God's people obeyed God and did exactly what he said. No, you know what happened. This stuff's laying all over the ground. They're only supposed to get this one bowl um, Omer full. But people are sneaking. They're putting it in pockets. They're going through like, just got, just got the bowl. Pants are bulging out. Because people always want more than they need. And so what happens to all the extra that some people are sneaking and trying to get? The next, Because the, all they need is an omer to, to be sustained and to live. So what happens to all the extra? The next morning, the extra is all mildewy molded and worms crawling all over it. Don't you just love God? Bunch of rats trying to get more. God says, once a day. Every morning, just a omer per person in your house. And it's perfect amount. It's enough for everybody in the house every day. And then on the sixth day, and God is, look, we're going to get to the Ten Commandments in a few weeks, and I can't wait. But before the Ten Commandments, before remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, God is building in his people the theological underpinnings of the Sabbath. He says on the sixth day, here's what's going to happen two bowls per person. Every other day, one bowl per person. But on the sixth day, two bowls per person. You're going to get your days fill and days fill for the following day, the seventh day, the Sabbath day. Because on that day, you're going to rest. There's not going to be any manna on the ground. Again, not natural phenomenon. This is supernatural stuff that we're dealing with. And if you believe in God, why can't you believe in supernatural things that he does anyway? That's a problem. Six days is going to be on the ground. Seventh day there's not going to be any. So two bowls worth on the sixth day. And God's people had to... And guess what happened? That extra bowl, they're like, but any extra we ever get is mildewed, moldy, and wormy on, on the next day. It doesn't last. But on the sixth day... And it doesn't last any other day. But on the sixth day, that extra bowl they have for the next day... It's never mildewy, it's never moldy. They get up and it's there and they, and they eat and they're sustained with no work. Why? Here's the point of all this. What is God, how is he testing? What is he trying to do to his people? God screams from heaven to us today. You can trust me. I know it's scary to wake up and wonder if the man is out there. But every day, you open your tent, and there it is, just like I said. Yeah, I know it's scary to walk through the wilderness, but there's always a stream in the desert at just the right time. You can trust me. It's why Jesus taught us to pray. Jesus, when he came, what, how does he refer to himself in John 6? As the bread that comes from heaven. He is our sustenance. We can trust him. That's why he taught his disciples to pray. Some of you are trying to live in the future. Some of you you are worried about tomorrow and next year. Jesus said every day has enough trouble of its own. You know where anxiety comes from? Trying to plan your whole life out. Trying to figure out how it's all going to work out. You can't do it. Every morning you got to pop your head out of the tent. See if the man is there. Jesus said pray like this. Give us this day. Not this week, this month, this year. Give us this day. Our daily bread. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Hear me this morning. Jesus is enough. He is enough for you right now. The gospel is enough. I know we think we need the money in the bank and the new job and the better title and the, and the better girlfriend, and the better boyfriend, and the better kids. <laughs> the better church. There's lots of things we think we need. But Jesus is enough. God became flesh because we couldn't do it. So he comes down like us living the perfect life we could not. He dies in our place for our sin. And he rose conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave. And does it matter the turmoil you may feel in your heart and in your mind? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. He is enough every day. Let's pray. Father, I love you and I thank you for your word. God, in life is hard. You know life is hard for us down here, but you have spoken. Father, and we've got counselors telling us one thing. We've got scientists telling us one thing. We've got politicians telling us one thing. We've got teachers telling us one thing. We've got parents telling us something else. Lord God, sanctify your people. May our trust be in you. And may we truly walk by faith and not by sight. And therefore see. The glory of your gospel every day, even in the hardships. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody, every Christian said, amen. Amen.